Hello. Oh, there we go. Hello. This is Ethel Merman coming to you from Broadway. Ethel Merman. <laughs> Welcome to the Metacast. I'm Josh Anderson. And I'm not. Thank goodness. Exactly. There's too many of us already. Exactly. And I'm Bob Galen. It's a beautiful sunny day in downtown Cary, North Carolina. A little toasty. A little toasty. It's it's approaching 90. Oh, Josh, I have some bad news. Guess what's, guess what's out at the house today and yesterday? Just take a guess. Air conditioning? The air conditioning is gone. Ooh. Yeah. It's approaching 80 plus in the house. Even the dogs are going for the yeah. shady nooks and corners. Yeah, holy cow! Yeah, so I was glad to come here today. So I, I get out of the house. Diane stuck back. Jeez, <laughs> she's stuck back there waiting for the repairman. Uh, and they gave me a window today. Guess a uh, twelve-hour window from uh, six to six. One, no, one to six. Okay, they were they did me a favor. One to six. That was nice. That's a pretty darn wide window, don't you think? Yeah. Yeah, I mean that gives them. I could like. Well, That's I, like saying we're going to ship sometime between June and December. It is. It is. That's a good analogy <laughs> for that. I know. Are you comfortable? I don't want you to overcommit. One to six? Are you sure? Why not one to midnight? Like you said, <laughs> give yourself some room to settle in. Uh, can you tell Metacasters I'm a bit of a mood today? So it's going to be a tough one. I don't know. Well, Josh is quiet because he just wolfed down a chicken biscuit. That, I was that, hungry. I'm sorry. Yeah. I didn't have a lot of time. It was a hot one, right? It was It, it was, was a spicy chicken. It was a spicy yeah, chicken, yeah. Chick-fil-A. So he may, we may, we need to get you to talk. So what's the topic? I'm not sure I can after eating that. You sure? Yeah. Right, so you're going to be quieter <laughs> than usual? Do I ever get a chance to not be quiet? No. Well, I try to provide these little open windows, but you, you know. But you, I never jump through fast you enough? You never jump through fast. It's It's got a time, <laughs> it's got a countdown timer on those windows, man. Maybe we need a timer in here so I know the window I have. Like one of those chest timers and we could like smack it and stuff? Yeah. Oh, that would be cool. Okay. That would be a really cool addition to the Metacast. <laughs> we would, would really keep track of how much you talk versus how much I talk. We would we would get a, we would get a visceral sense for that. So what is the topic today, Josh? Well, it's your topic. What was that? But we discussed I'm it. not even sure how to officially define it in like a succinct way, which I know is not something... You do well. <laughs> succinct is a challenge. It's Metacasters. It's ugly. Can you tell? It's going to be an ugly cast. Um, so there's two topics. I did a blog post. I sent it to Josh. He didn't read it. That's because you sent it to me five minutes before you uh, got that's here. That's not true. It's stop whining. If I'd have sent it like yesterday, you still wouldn't have read it. You never read anything. Uh, I skimmed all the way through. Okay, so uh, the high level topics are simplicity, uh, product simplicity and unscaling so are we are unscaling we, i think uns, that's the key word unscaling here. and you could and so i wanted to bundle in small teams so so there's this tendency to scale up and i'm starting to think maybe we start challenging ourselves to scale down where it's appropriate because that was the that was a sweet spot of agile 
and then design. It's the same thing. So there's team scaling. Oh, we need a billion people to build that product, and we and we need a hierarchy, and we need a scrum of scrums. Do you really? Or can you build it with one small team? So scale down. And then there's design simplicity. I think, I mean, for years, this is not a new thing, but we, we're the kings of bloatware, right? We're the kings of delivering 8 billion features, and of that 8 billion, people only use like 100, but we still deliver too much sometimes. So you're saying getting to a truly minimum viable product? Minimal design, uh, simplicity, keeping design simplicity in mind, and keeping team dynamic simplicity in mind. I think sometimes the design is as much a problem as the feature set. Uh, we need everything, and we need it before we can do anything. Well, I mean, if you're saying engineer's tendency is to over-design, is that sort of where you're going? I think from the product owner side or the business side, How about from, from the requirements. But also, I, so I think there's levels that feed into that design of the, the design has to be this complex because we want this and this and this and this. So that creates it. Now, we don't do ourselves any help by over engineering things as we have at times but that's that's a common pattern but there but there are things that also lend into that problem well, i would agree I, w I was trying to tease them apart and say i think we get asked for too much and it's easy i think it's the lazy person's approach if i if i do it's hard to say no it's hard to say that's an actually that's a different thing and i would agree with that so it's hard to say no it's hard to decide like what are the top 10 features so it's much easier to throw So I view up. those as the same. You have to say no to something to get it down to 10. Okay, all right. So that minimalist view, because it's risky. Right. right. It's very risky. You're putting your reputation on the line very often. So you're throwing a list there and throwing darts at it. And then I do think engineers, I mean, I'll pick on myself. I don't know about you, but I have a tendency to like complexity. Mm -hmm. I have a tendency to like over-design. It feels comfortable to me. It feels... It feels like I'm doing my job as an engineer, right? I'm, I'm over, I, I don't intend it to be over-engineered, but I'm very comfortable in that I space. think it's a strive for elegance or things like that. You often hear people talking about the elegant solution, or it's not as elegant as it could be. It works, but it's not, not, not right. elegant. So there's that where we not only want it to work, but we want it to look nice from a code perspective, an architecture perspective. Is it architecturally the perfect way to do it right and how much and the big thing that we're wrestling with now is okay let's talk about the business value of that what's the business value of getting that architecturally perfect versus adding three other features right that we could have done with the effort to make that happen right i, I in my uh, in my blog post i talked i used old program examples wordstar i don't even know if you've ever have you ever used have no. you ever heard of wordstar not until you brought it up you're kidding me really Wow. I'm not kidding. Wow, that ages me. That makes me feel really older than I do. I'm sorry. So in the late 70s, uh, early 80s, one of the first production, what I would call production quality word processors, was something called WordStar. It was delivered with CPM, uh, if you ever remember the operating system CPM, which was competed with MS-DOS at the time. So okay. they sort of co-competed. CPM, actually, uh, IBM offered CPM... Uh, the MS-DOS contract before they went to uh, Microsoft, and CPM was full of themselves, or was it digital research was the company, and they, they pushed away IBM, and then Bill Gates and company came in and just dominated, they used that lever of, of MS-DOS mm -hmm. to just dominate the known PC universe, uh, but and then CPM went away. But, but CPM, it was where it started. You used it, 
you could extend, you could add devices and things to WordStar. So you would use WordStar as a programmer's editor. Mm -hmm. It had a lot of control sequences. It was one of the first uh, editors that had a lot of like control, you know, control command sequences in it. But here it was it was a full fledged business word processor. It had mail merge and things at the time. Um, and, and the memory space for it was, uh, so the entire memory space for the PC was 64K. So uh, the operating system took part of that, let's say 24K. So uh, WordStar fit into like 30 plus K. So here you have something, if you think about, if you've ever done programming at that level, that's not a lot of space right. for functionality. And people would fit what I would call full function things into that. Uh, what was uh, something, VisiCalc was the first uh, spreadsheet and it fit into those footprints. Uh, DBase 2, or the original, if you've ever heard of DBase 3 and DBase 4, no? I've heard of them, yes. Okay, so, so those <laughs> things, they had very small footprints, and my point is, we could design, back then, I'm not trying to sound like a dinosaur, but we because we had such small footprints, design uh, simplicity was incredibly important, and every byte mattered, and nowadays it doesn't matter. And I'm okay with throwing hardware. I've heard people say... People meaning me? Yeah. I may have made the statement yesterday. We just throw hardware at everything, right? Because hardware's cheap. It was a provocative statement. It was? It didn't provoke me at all. No, not at all. (laughs) Only the 20-minute walk (laughs) where, where you berated me about it. About hardware. But there's this thing of designing for simplicity, designing for space, designing for efficiency. And I think we've gotten lazy in the design space as well where we we're not we're not doing those things any reactions to that and and again i'm not i'm not trying to sound like a dinosaur i know we don't have 64k anymore right but there's something to be said for elegance we well, i don't know if elegance <clears throat> is the right word so the question that came to my mind as you talk through that example is how much design and how much effort had to go in to make that work in that footprint that <clears throat> isn't required today right that that that's not People don't put problem. The, they don't put the thought into it, right? You just sort of just architect, and I'm not. I, I think we're missing. I think we're missing that. That's what I was trying to say in the article. Is that there's the art of simplicity. WordStar is an example. Unix is what an was, example. Linux is an example. The question that we'll never be able to answer is what was the effort required to get to that simplicity? Because we are solving complex problems, right? Software's not. So WordStar was not a complex problem. A, a full function word processor I am for mankind and what I'm trying to say is that to get a simple solution to a complex problem often isn't easy or quick it's called engineering right yeah okay that doesn't make it easy or quick oh that, well I mean so being slapdash uh, I mean okay it may not be easy and it may not be ultra fast I, I get that but it may be worthwhile it may be worth the effort. It may right. be right. It may be easy to make. So maintenance was something we thought about. We thought about maintainability. We thought about upgrades. Uh, does that mean we didn't hack WordStar? Sure, you could hack it. I mean, people would hack it. Uh, let's flip from WordStar. Linux, the I mean, and Unix. The essence of Unix was just a couple people put together this simple sort of uh, building block. If you remember, you could sort of pipe things into each other. Right. So here you have these very simple commands that by the art of piping, you can pipe them into each other right. and do relatively com- solve complex problems. Well, someone thought about that. They thought about that notion of pipes 
and that notion about oh we don't need to we don't need to build something that solves everything we build a set of building blocks and how do we do that so all i'm trying to say is the counterpoint is yes the solution is simple but the evolution to get there may not have been simple mm-hmm. right that they may have started on something very complex and it got there over time okay, okay. So, i buy that I, so yes the final solution is simple but the path to get there may not have was been hard. simple right so what it sounds to me like you're saying which is why i'm coming at you from the other side is Hey, it's simple. Just be smart and do it easy the first time, right? So that so that's what I'm hearing, and I'm saying that I, the path to get to that. No, no, no I don't mean hard. that. No, I mean the goal should be simplicity, right? And we may make even some trade-offs, but our goal should be tight. Our goal should be elegance. Our goal should be simplicity. Our goal should be simple simple solutions to tough problems, right. if it can, and iterate towards those things right. and learn as you go. But be relentless. <laughs> don't be lazy. And I think, but that's a, where. Some folks often get into trouble is that they they get stuck and don't do anything until you get to that final answer and not being comfortable shipping and evolving and getting into the final product. So that's where I was worried that folks were going to read into that, which I was starting to read into that. Was, oh, we okay, sp- we sp- so you're saying that we that it can only be simple or else you don't do anything. Oh, no, we spin in our own juices. I'm not right, saying yeah. that at all, but it's these goals. I mean, the essence of what's the goal of refactoring? which is a modern agile term so what is i mean i'm asking you what what is refactoring from my perspective it's to make life better somehow so things that we've refactored here we've been here and i actually celebrate this there are some people that view it as oh well we didn't do a good enough job and i view it as we shipped something and we quickly found out that it wasn't as good as we'd like it to be and we're doing something about it so number one, we didn't wait to ship until we got it perfect. Number one, okay. to line that up, is we did ship it. Second, we inspected and recognized we did something not optimal or we knew it going into it. And then three, we have done or have plans in place to make things better. And make them faster, make them simpler, right. make them more elegant, make them easier to maintain, so et cetera. we have refactored the organization, our approach to Agile, the back-end approach, the front-end approach, we just refactored our branching focus of how we're doing things. So we're continually inspecting and adapting, and that helps me sleep at night knowing that you add up all those little corrections along the way, Mm -hmm. and we're gonna win in the end. And that's what I'm talking, it's it's the goal. I I think I use these these programs as an example. Uh, I mean, I was constantly refactoring back then. I would be looking at the architecture. I remember I, my first job out of school was working on mainframes at Sperry Univac, and we had such tight footprints that we would we would be looking at memory utilization. We would be looking at port. It was assembler, so we were constantly looking for can I save ten bytes? Now, not initially, but as the program grew, as functionality grew, right. we'd be looking to refactor to get back. and And you'd hear someone scream if they could recover like twenty five bytes. You'd be like, woohoo, I just, I just, I refactored to gain this back so that I could extend it for something else. Or if you found bugs, we would desk check our code before we, because CPU was so pricey at the time mm-hmm. and hardware was so, we couldn't throw it at it, it didn't exist, right. that we would be desk checking our, so even that, uh, code reviews and desk checking your code. Uh, so not using compilers. I know compi- it's, that's the same thing, the compilers will catch it. That's a little lazy sometimes. Maybe have a review and catch some of those things. Because maybe the compiler won't catch it. 
that's that notion. Let's switch gears. I know I feel like I'm I'm rambling about. Um, yes, I want to get back to the team size. Thing. The team. I wanted to switch us back to team yeah. size. So why don't you? What do you think the optimum? Give give us some reactions about team agile team sizes, big small. So we were talking before the Medicast about the three bears of team sizes. Mm-hmm. So too small, too large, and just right. Right. What do you think? So. I get pulled in lots of different directions and lots of people have different ideas. There's a couple angles. Um, my approach that we've put in place here is seven person squad plus a product owner. So you can get more efficient with smaller groups within that group itself. So yes, communication is easier when there's fewer people. But then, from my perspective, you're, you're you're putting more on product owners to try and juggle the two backlogs and all those things. So I think, holistically, the right is that classic five to seven person size squad. Right. Like, if you get smaller, then organizationally it gets harder. It gets easier for that little group to operate, but to coordinate across those groups gets harder because what you just try to reduce within the squad of, well, let's reduce the number of people so the number of people we have to talk to, making that smaller, that that then has the opposite reaction across the organization of more of those smaller teams. So then communication across those smaller teams goes up because you reduced the communication that happens within the squad. So it's that balance of trying to get it exactly right that's hard and is different. And supporting everything that has to happen with multiple squads running at the same time, I've found that that seven-ish size works well. So that's the classic what Scrum is, seven plus or minus two. Mm-hmm. So that falls right in the middle of that sweet spot, and then you said plus the PO. Now you brought in a different dynamic, which is number of teams. So it's not even if you go smaller, it's just you could have seven-person teams, but you could have 20 of them. Mm-hmm. So cross-team dependencies are one of the things to think about when your team size matters when you have cross team dependencies, right? Which is hard because folks inside of a squad want to optimize the way they work. Right. So they view that as, oh, if we were smaller, we could do more. We could get more done. We could unscale everything that this is about. And while you're unscaling within your group, you actually put more pressure on everybody else and yourself to communicate with everybody else. So you make one part better make one part harder so then you've got to try and find the trade-off and maybe that's right for your org maybe it's not and that's where you've got to figure out what works best for the group that you have what what would you consider too big so seven is the sweet so i want to go to the three bears right so So what's what's too big at my last job we had 13 and we had discussions around are we too big should should we split and we got scared by the cross-team communication that would have to happen. And we were operating pretty darn well. So, And we were like, well, gosh, we're 13 people. We should split just because that's the right thing to do. Right? Right. You shouldn't have a squad that's bigger than seven or nine people. And we've got 13. Holy crap, this must be wrong. So we had discussions about it. And we said, okay, if we do this, what's going to happen? We're going to have this group and this group. And how are we going to communicate? And what's, what's the value add? It was like, yeah, we can do a checkbox of, yeah, we're seven people. And that's what the book says to do but we decided at the end of the day that the most important thing for us was to have the communication within that group stay as cohesive as possible and if we split out we got worried about losing that so we were able to make that work at 13 at 13 beyond that 
I'm not sure how much higher we could have gone and had it work reasonably well. It's funny how your numbers are aligning with my own experience. So to me, six or seven is the sweet spot. Um, and then 12, 13 is sort of what I consider like, a, not because Scrum says so, but because it's a danger that in yeah. my experience, it starts getting too big. I have a story to share, and I'm curious as to your reaction. So I think this was a channel advisor when I was there. It was. I was a channel advisor, and we were growing so fast that we would grow our scrum teams over time. So as we were hiring newbies, instead of just spinning up a team with one person and then adding newbies to that team, we would grow existing teams. Mm -hmm. And then the existing teams would get large, and then we would split a team. We, We would split a couple teams and form a new team. So we had a team that was at 13. Uh, it was doing our search. As I remember, it was the search team, and they were doing some search functionality for our e-commerce site, our e-commerce product. And uh, it, we didn't grow. They were at 13. We were ready to split them. But then a business priority changed, and the business wanted us to spin up a team to add to an existing team to double their capacity because of a business. You know, a focus mm-hmm. so we split the search team into this for argument's sake let's say six and six emits and that's developers and testers mm-hmm. so not po's not scrum masters just we just did a virtual split and uh so we assigned the, the the six people team we didn't cherry pick so we sort of split the team what i would call like a, a normal sort of sensible split senior you know each team had about the same capa- capabilities and skill sets and things like that um, the one stayed with search, the other went to the new product. Velocity, the, the trigger here is the velocity actually didn't change. So the search team velocity stayed at 25 points per sprint, and the new team had 25 points per sprint. Huh. So we, we ultimately had, we doubled, we doubled capacity going from 12, this is a true story, uh, 12 to 6.6. Six. What, what do you think was going on there? Was it true? Capacity was it apples to apples or yeah, did it was apples to apples? So sizing was the same since was, they came from the same group. They yeah, all apples to apples. They all had the same For scale. Our, I mean, it might have been an apple. It might have been a Rome apple and a you know delicious apple. But they yeah. were but, yeah. But they were apples. Yeah. Apples to apples. What do you guess? What do you think happened? I've seen this happen a few other times. What do I think happened? Well, I mean that 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 caused that. We went from twelve to six and six. So and, they wanted to split everything then. And and twelve. So what that says is the twelve were less efficient. Right. Right, right. So, what was causing that? Do you think, or however, ter- whatever terminology you want to use? But at the end of the day, we literally got, we literally doubled our velocity uh, by not adding anyone. What do you think? So, what caused the inefficiency in the twelve? Yeah, or what's what's the what's the root? What's happening there? Just things are easier when they're smaller. Right. I would. Okay. So, give me an easier. It wasn't dependencies. It wasn't. The, it wasn't. Cross. They were working on separate things. They were working on separate things, and there was there was normal dependencies. So there was dependencies across the search team to other teams, and right. then there was dependencies from these teams to other teams. We tried to minimize dependencies. It's that did they have. Did they each end up with their own product owner? They each ended up so good. Good team dynamics. They each ended up with it. They essentially were, you know, two six-person scrum teams. Mm-hmm. With a PO each, a backlog each, a scrum master each. So we did adhere to the sort of team dynamics that way. So I think of it as a network diagram, not to put you, it's communication channels. So you were you were worrying about cross-team dependencies, and I get that. But my lineage is 13 is bad mm-hmm. because 
it's, you know, every meeting, now we need to listen to 13 voices. Every planning poker session, now we have 13 votes versus six votes. Every design review, we have 13 opinions right. versus six opinions. And you get this exponential communication sort of thing going. It's like networking uh, theory, right? If you have net, like the number of nodes, exponentially, as you increase the number of nodes, the communication channels gets yeah, crazy. Right. So, yeah, that's the spot. So, yeah, I'm going to say Spotify, but Spotify doesn't like their tribes to get over 100 people. So that's the number of squads. And there's a law for that. Or there's, yeah, there's, there is some law that they there quote a, that there's some maximum number of human connections that somebody <clears throat> can maintain So there's a team, there's a team level number. I, gosh, I should know this, but there's a organiza there's a organizational or a project yep. level number. I think, I think it's like 150 or something, yeah, somewhere the, between 100 and 150. Yeah, I think they've put the, and last time I read it was, Right around 100 because of that law. They quoted that that, yeah. that that law that some research had been done. Right. So I do, and that's what I was worried about, is that you still have the connections, the network connections that have to happen for the communication. Because everything we talk about, if you've listened to our podcast, you've heard us talk about, it's about the communication. The stories are a promise for a discussion. The refinement is about the discussion. The planning is about the discussion. So all that discussion has to happen. So it's... Where do you want to take the hit? Do you want to take the hit inside your squad or across squads? Exactly. And depending on that size, those are the levers you're going to have to play with to find that sweet spot. For us at my last company, you're absolutely right. There were times where we would be in planning sessions and people would, would vote. Like, I can't vote on that. I'm not an iOS guy. Right. So I'm not going to vote. So those three folks over there are going to vote. And that's going to be, that's going to be the story point. So what we actually ended up doing, because refinement was tough, because like, how do I refine that if I'm not going to build that? So we had each, it was almost like we had sub-squads, right? So the iOS guys would go and refine there and then bring it back together. And we would adjust as a whole group of what we were going to do. Um, so, yeah, we were one squad, but we kind of operated in smaller factions of how we were going to manage that because it just, because we... We got to that point where people are like, this is just a waste of time. I try to break those up, actually, sometimes. I've seen that sub-squad notion, not just with large teams, but, you know, when you cobble together people who are doing different work, mm -hmm. and it's really not a team. Right. Like, you might have a team that's doing iOS work, and then a team that's doing uh, DevOps work. Like, two people who are doing iOS, two people who are doing DevOps, and two people who are doing uh, test automation. And you throw them together, oh, this is, this pro this is a perfectly optimum six-person team the, but there but there's there's three little sub universes right. in there and they really don't care at all about what each other are doing and and it sort of gets artificial yeah reactions to that well the, so just with the example i'm talking about we so our product was android ios and a back end so everybody had to be in sync so we had to deliver as one okay to make that happen so that's that's what we were afraid of losing. So that's why you drove the team, yeah. and you tolerated these sub factions in the team for the greater good of integration across all of the platforms, right? right? Yeah, because it was a platform, right? Yeah, we right. had the three platforms, but yeah. we were a platform that we had to ship all at once. Everything had to be in sync. Yeah, the server could have gone first and been ahead, but we didn't want to get too far ahead, right? Because then you are you really building things that we need on the client side, right? So. That was one of those, and it was messy, and and we had pretty long discussions about what's the right thing to do, and was it the right decision? I don't know. I, I can just tell you that that's what we ended up with. 
No, I think this is valid. I mean, Metacasters, this isn't just Josh. I think this is a valid factor as well, is what is the work focus within the team? Mm -hmm. so it's easy when everyone's focused on the same thing. Right. It's a little tougher in making those decisions of what is small, what is large, when when people are working on diverse things. But there might be a common good driver for it. Yeah, so here's a question. So let's say you're a, you're a web platform, right? And you realize, holy crap, we need mobile. Is mobile its own squad that talks to the API that, or is that part of the product and mobile goes into it? So it's always a struggle when they're, like you said, DevOps or some vastly different technology where they're generally not going to cross over but they're building the same product or products well, so that are me, siblings or something like that. So let me sort of react back. I mean, I usually try from a, forget the technology stacks for a second. I mean, I usually have this end to end thing mm -hmm. that I'm trying to build end to end. So f technology stacks matter. I'm not disagreeing right. with you, but before that, to me, it's, I want to give teams a sense of ownership. I want to get, and I'd like to hear your feedback. I want a team to own something. Yeah. I, I, it, it's, I get better results when a team owns a, an area of a product or a project or a product line or a platform. They own it front end to back end. They own the quality of it. Like you were talking the other day about the testers. Do I have the testers be a different squad, uh, different chapter, chapter or not? Mm -hmm. And you, you know, and the problem with I, you'd like to bundle it in. So I'd like quality to be owned there, maintenance there, design there, architecture there. So they maintain it. They do new feature development. They do evolutionary development, and they do the maintenance. You know, the you know the grunt work for it. All of that, and they own a slice, and then they deliver things in slices. So I don't know the answer. But I'd want, let's say we brought mobile in and it's just another variation of the platform. So there's web and mobile. Then what I'd be looking to do is, and, and everything has a web side and a, a mobile side. Mm -hmm. I hope I'm making sense. Mm -hmm. Then I would want to add a mobile engineer to each team so that they could expand the slices right. and they could have some ownership. My tendency would be to do something like that to, to reinforce this ownership slicing end-to-end -end model. Is that wrong? So I agree wholeheartedly with the owning something. Yeah. That's something that I, that we've built out here because I want <clears throat> folks to be able to focus on something and build up yep. that expertise, the Malcolm Gladwell thing of ten thousand hours. Right. Yep. Let's let's invest in letting exactly. them become experts exactly. in that area of our business and drive that towards building the world's best whatever. And then, as they grow and learn, then they're going to do that. They're going to accelerate. It gets a. That, that, that mobile thing is a little bit touchy with me. I'm not sure what the right answer is. I go back and forth. While I agree with you, yeah, what happens when you have that web front end built out and now you want to bring in mobile? That's not a flip of a switch. That's not something you do in a sprint, right? There's a mobile architecture that Correct. has to go with and all Correct. of that stuff. And well, when you would have cross-cutting cross chapters too, right. which the Spotify model sort of is, is nice for. But, but my lineage, and I'm, I'm not stuck on it. I'm just saying this is where I, if I was coaching your teams, I would yeah. lean this way. I actually tell people, I'm like, I don't know if it's right or wrong. Right. There, I think there's positives for it, the trade-offs, but I would lean towards adding mobile slices yeah. so that there would be sort of this ownership. To your point, if it was a new, if it was a new platform, well, then there's training issues and things like that. What I might do is create a, which is I've done in automation. So when I'm just starting automation, I will spin up a scrum team to do automation frameworks mm -hmm. to get sort of the traction on like the knowledge and the skill set. 
And then the minute, from an automation perspective, the minute we have the framework, then I'll de I'll break up that team and sprinkle them across the teams. Mm -hmm. So let's say we had no mobile uh, skill set whatsoever, and we were just building it. I probably would build it independently to start with, and then use it as a seeder across the teams as soon as I could. Right. Um, don't know. I don't know if there's a right or wrong. What's <coughs> let's let's go in the other direction. What is there? Is there the possibility of too small? And what would it be, do you think, well, in team size? Is there, so is there, is there it gets a down size? to your product, right, and how big your product is and how... Well, let's go, it's, it's a team of one to two. Uh, I, have a, I have an opinion about it, but I want to hear... I think it's too small. I think it's too small, too. I think it gets really weird the way I think about it. You know, it's like, what's the daily stand-up look like? And I, this is going to sound joking. But it's there's there's some seriousness, you know. It's like you know the, the people are having a daily standup, and I'm looking like you and I are having a daily standup now. You on vacation? What do I do? Right. Uh, we don't have any coverage. What if we want to do a code review? What does that look like? We start getting parochial. What if it's one developer and a tester? So I think there's a there's a mass of a team somewhere in the one to two to three range. I think three to me is the absolute minimum. I would prefer four. Yeah, something one, two to three, the behaviors get really odd. Uh, but I don't, I'm, I'm not, I just think it's an odd small team. And I think it's hard for them to be a small team. Now, if we were a garage level startup mm -hmm. where we had three, <laughs> all we had was two developers, that's not what I'm talking right. about. That's just, you have two people, they're going to just team up. Mm -hmm. But I'm talking about like, let's say you have an organization of 20 or 25 here, mm -hmm. and you decide in your infinite wisdom that you're going to break everyone up into teams of two. Right. That would, I think that would create a lot of oddities from yep. my point of view and a lot of difficulty. I mean, end-to-end it, it, -end becomes harder, mm -hmm. skill sets become harder, covering for one another, helping each other becomes more difficult. T-shaped? Yeah, it's hard to swarm. It's hard to swarm. <laughs> it is. It's, yeah. It just creates odd behavior. I would even, I'm like you, I would even shy away from three. I would think four, not that there's a magic number, but sort of four would be the sort of the the smallest team that I would probably try to influence. Yeah, I agree. Uh, uh, to, to me, the sweet spot is six. What I learned at, uh, Ch at Channel Advisor, nothing magic, but my personal. If I was building Bob's organization and I had control and I was paying for people, so I was out of my wallet and so I was trying to guide an organization, my sweet spot would be around six team members. Mm -hmm. Just back to all of those lessons learned. Whenever I've kept around to six, that's sort of really up. They've gotten stuff done. Mm -hmm. They leap tall buildings, so they were they had the mass. That's the other problem with two or three. They don't really have the mass. Like, what does the review look like? Right. Right. But they have the mass to get big things done, but they do it incredibly efficiently. Right. Is it around that six is a sweet spot for me? Uh, I don't dictate that to people, but I usually share the channel advisor story with my coaching clients just to sort of to get them thinking about what their sweet spot might right, be. Right. Yeah. Agree. What other facts? So we're in the range of like three to four to seven, six or seven. So we're surprisingly yeah. aligned. To danger, Will Robinson, 12, 13 mm -hmm. would be a danger. Um, anything else in there around team sizes? So the theme so. of this Metacast was really, I, I think we're, it's not about WordStar. Josh kept me grounded. It's about are we building two complex things? for a variety of factors. So are we leaning towards the way we build things is just uh, we have a maximus view 
and are we scaling teams too crazily and forgetting that small teams that have creative juices can can do great things. Yeah, and I think the key is applying that simplicity across everything, across every system you're building. Well, you said it earlier. You actually, not even the systems. Didn't What did you say? You said something. Well, to really... me, your organization is a system. Yes, yes. So you said that it's the organization, it's the software, it's documentation, it's everything. Mm -hmm. I think that was a really important point that you made earlier. So applying that, it's not just, in my, in my blog post, I talked about the software side and the team side, the technology team side, but it goes everywhere, right? right? It's just, it's, it's that sort of KISS principle uh, or lean principles. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, and then also realizing that small teams, let's get back to what I, that team that we went from 13 or 12 to six, that without a velocity hit, they literally were, well, that was a high performance team, right? Right, And we had slowed them down. Well, what if we did that across the board? Mm. What, what, let's say you have teams or wherever, uh, what was it? It was Teradata or whatever. Let's say you have 12-person teams. Right. What if you just cut them, cut them in half across the board? Think of what that might have done. Right. If the same, you might have doubled the output. Here, you, everyone's trying to double the output by beating people up or making them work weekends or twisting their arms on what commitments. Right. Instead of doing that, it's like get back to basics. And small, small can be very powerful, mm -hmm. right? In in everything, is that is that a fair theme for this metacast? I think so. Yeah, small is beautiful, and so fight again. It, it you know, software is hard work, so I'm not trying to be naive, and there is complexity out there. But let's bring our our simplistic thinking to right. it whenever we can. Cool. Did we put a fork in it? A small one. <laughs> I had to do that. A little fork. Yeah, a little teeny tiny. Very simple. Yeah, yes. Very efficient. Only two prongs. Cool. With a, with a chicken biscuit on the end of it. Well, the chicken biscuit is way gone. It's way gone, yeah. Or as you called it earlier, a chisket. A chisket. I did say, I did I did mumble that. So, Josh. Yes, how, Bob. How do people get a hold of us? It's an interesting question, Bob. So, considering that you found us, found us the same way other channels that you may not be aware of. We're on Twitter. We're on Facebook. We're on Stitcher. We're every we actually have a what is subreddit. What is Stitcher? It's a podcast kind of network framework tool. Holy crap! You stay up to date on all of this, like barely, just barely. I'm hanging on. Oh my god! With two fingers. On and what the is Reddit? There. And I'm not being a, a smart. I'm. I, what is Reddit? Holy cow! I know, but just briefly, give me the cliff notes. What is Reddit? so? Reddit's goal in life was to be and is to be the front page of the internet. So it's a user-curated system of posts that people have. And subreddits are, there's a Metacast subreddit. So if you want to talk about Metacast, you go to reddit.com slash r slash Metacast. Okay. And we're posting all of our things in there now. So I'll have to go look at it's that. It's a common communication mechanism for nerds like us. Well, like me. Like you. Yeah, no, like, like me. <laughs> I don't even know what it is. Yeah. That's like the R-E-D-D-I-T or something like yeah. that, right? Okay. Yeah, there's a lot of churn going around there. Around their co-founders left, and now they're all back as executives and what's going on. I'll have so. to take a look at that. Sorry I interrupted you, Josh. but No, that's okay. Oh. So we're everywhere. And if you find us somewhere, no, wait. If you're looking for us and we're not there, you think it would be a value for us to be on that channel, let us know. And we can probably add some 
connection or integration with one of our tools to get our we can probably stitch or something there. together oh, to get dear there lord <laughs> that's from I couldn't. I know. And That's then we'll as bad as my small fork. I know. I know. So cool. And we're open all, all feedback. You hear it every Metacast, but we mean it, and we're serious. And we challenge you to get us feedback. We have prizes nowadays. Yes. By the feedback. time you hear this, we will have stickers in our hands. Stickers. So there's the possibility. Give us feedback. You can get a book and or a sticker. Uh, we'll send it to you uh, via, you know, the slowest, cheapest possible mechanism, <laughs> <laughs> and but most reliable uh, mailing mechanism. But we'll get, you'll get it, yes. you know, before Bob will drive it to your house. I could if you're in this area, Ooh. or we yeah. we could. So there's presence. Give us feedback. Give us your ideas. Uh, rank us, or vote on us, or rate us. Rate us. Yes. Yes. Rate us. So, from beautiful downtown Cary, North Carolina, the sunshine in a beautiful July day, I'm Bob Galen. And I'm Josh Anderson. Shake. And bake. Take care, y'all.